Well, our text this morning is John chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 34. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you'll find that on page 886. 886. And so if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that for three of them, we have been in what's known as the prologue of John's gospel, those first 18 verses, uh, where we have been looking at various themes that we will see over the coming weeks and months that, that John weaves in and out of his, his gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry. And from the prologue today, we shift into the narrative of John's storytelling, where we encounter a peculiar man and a peculiar scene. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us in Jesus, and that you are the God who has spoken, and you have given us your word. And that by the power of your spirit, you still speak to us today through this, your word. And so we pray that you would once again do that, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see more clearly, to behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And so here... God's word now, John chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, and we're speaking here of John the Baptist. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This, this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And this is the Word of God. Well, as you can see as this story begins to unfold, we encounter a very peculiar man and a very peculiar scene. John the Baptist, out in the wilderness, on the other side of the Jordan, the far side away from Jerusalem, uh, baptizing hundreds of people. Baptizing day after day after day, and word has spread throughout the region. People are talking about this. Now, if you're familiar with the gospel stories, with the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you're probably familiar with John the Baptist. You may remember that John the Baptist and Jesus were close relatives, probably cousins. Uh, they grew up together, and John would have been aware of what folks were saying about Jesus. For sure, John's mother, Elizabeth, would have told him about the conversations that she had had with Jesus' mother, Mary. And most likely, Elizabeth would have shared about that first visit. When Mary had found out that she was pregnant, Elizabeth already being pregnant with Jesus, and um, Elizabeth being pregnant with John, and, and, and Mary being pregnant with Jesus, and Mary shows up, and upon the greeting, John leaps in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. Even in utero, John knew that there was something special about Jesus, something unique, something life-altering about his cousin. And so as we come upon him today, John, we find that he's all grown up and he has become a popular preacher. Yet he's lacking the proper credentials. I mean, he didn't go to the right schools, he doesn't know the right people, and he's kind of an oddball, kind of a, a grungy guy who lives out in the middle of nowhere, the wilderness, all alone. And so, of course, the religious hub, Jerusalem, the religious elite, they, they hear about this and, and they decide that they need to send some of their own to check him out, to see what's going on. Now, as we read that part of the encounter, at first it might appear that they're, they're being sarcastic with their questions. Kind of a, so who do you think you are? But actually, they're not being sarcastic. You see, in that day and time, people were, were looking for the Messiah. They were, they were expectant. They were, were anticipating, expected that God was on the move. And so the Jewish religious elite asked, are you the one? The Messiah? The Christ? And John emphatically denies it. Well, the Jewish leaders also knew that Malachi had prophesied that someone was to come in the spirit of Elijah before the day of the Lord. And also that Moses had spoken of a new prophet like himself who God would raise up one day. And so they ask if he's either one of these, and, and John says no. And so then they ask, perplexed, then who in the world are you? And listen to what John says. Verse 23. I am the voice. I am a voice 
doesn't refer to himself as a person, but rather as a voice, something unseen, something that speaks beyond itself, something that, that points to another. And of course, as, as you read along with me, John is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And if you had looked at the footnote there in your Bible, you would see it's from chapter 40, verse 3. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. You see, in essence, John the Baptist is like the last Old Testament prophet. He's, he's a prophetic bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, bridging them together. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready. He's come. And then, as the first New Testament prophet, per se, John the Baptist declares, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Daryl Johnson puts it, this proclamation happens when John the Baptist really sees Jesus for who he really is. I mean, obviously John had known him all of his life. They grew up together. But now John really gets it. It's all beginning to make sense. The pieces are coming to get together, and John the Baptist really sees Jesus for who he is. John the Baptist sees Jesus, verse 30, as the one who has existed from all eternity, who was in the beginning with God. John the Baptist sees Jesus, verse 34 as the one who comes from the very heart of God the Father, whose words and deeds reveal the very nature and character of the Father. John the Baptist sees Jesus, verse 33, as the one who himself comes to baptize, not outwardly with water, but inwardly with the Holy Spirit. This, this is the one who fills and infuses human life with the very life of God. And John the Baptist sees Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, he says, for this is the one who eradicates sin and imparts new life, zoe life, to those who really see him. Verse 29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this statement, this title, it has been significant throughout the centuries in the life and worship of God's people. In fact, it is the central statement in our passage this morning. Uh, Leon Morris is right when he says, there's something about this expression which doesn't require explanation before it can begin appealing to the depths of the human heart. In these words lurks a luminous quality. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And so let's look more closely at this verse. Now let's consider each phrase in this profound statement. And what we're going to do is we're going to go in reverse order. Because if you think about it, in a sense, that's how it first happened. The sin of the world took away the Lamb of God. So let's talk about the sin of the world. Sin is not only the breaking of God's law, but also, in the words of one commentator, sin is the smearing of a relationship, the grieving of one's divine parent, the betrayal of God. It is human vandalism of God's design for creation and redemption. Or as another commentator puts it, sin is that deeply rooted need to be our own gods, resulting in alienation from God and others, in bondage to drives and desires, and inevitably culminates with death. And when you, when you boil it down, simply put, sin is cancer of the soul. It's cancer of the soul. And every one of us is infected by this cancer. And like all cancer, it is often most dangerous when we are unaware of it or in denial of it. So recently, as I, as I was talking to a, an older friend, uh, he, he reminded me of a movie. Uh, it was a movie that came out before I was born, and, and I wasn't familiar with the title, but then as he described it, I started to realize, oh, I think I see uh, scenes of this probably every year around Easter weekend. And so I, I looked it up, and in fact, it is one of those Hollywood epics. It's about four and a half hours in length, seemed to have every uh, movie star of the day in it, uh, the story of Jesus's life, and it's entitled, The Greatest Story Ever Told. 1965. Some of you familiar with this? I see some head nods. Somebody after first service reminded me even John Wayne was in this. I think he was the centurion. Uh, but the, the character that, that captured my attention, because I, I went on, on YouTube and started looking up some of the clips. And so I looked up John the Baptist. He's played by Charlton Heston. Amazing job. Amazing voice. And, and, and I, 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 was, I was really captured by, by several of these John the Baptist scenes. And the first one I watched was this sustained, I think it was at least five minutes, where basically all you heard was Charlton Heston's wonderful deep voice saying, Repent! 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 And kind of mixed in there with it, he would occasionally quote scripture and, and then some other things that weren't scripture, but they were at least faithful. And, and it panned out, as you heard his voice, it panned out from Jerusalem, the, the, the center of the religious worship, and went all the way out until you eventually find him in the wilderness, baptizing. But as I was going through the scenes, I came across John the Baptist and Herod. Some of you remember that encounter. So John the Baptist is, is, is shackled in a, a dungeon down below, and Herod has him brought out, and Herod's trying to engage with, with John the Baptist, and and all the Baptists will say is, repent, repent. Herod says, I am your king. I have no king. 
except Jesus. And then as you look closely, kind of in, in, in the corner of the screen, in walks a woman. And you don't really notice her at first, but it's Herod's wife. Or if you actually know the story, it's not Herod's wife. It's the woman that Herod's with, but it's the wife of his brother. John the Baptist yells out, that's adultery, repent. And Herod turns angry and says, you're going to die for that. And John says, well, you're going to go to hell for that. And I was like, wow, this is Hollywood. But, but what John the Baptist is getting at, what he is saying to Herod, is Herod, you have a cancer. You are infected deeply by something and you're completely unaware of it, but it owns you. You have a cancer, but there is an answer. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to Him. The Lamb of God who takes away the cancer of your soul. Now I want you to Take a look. What is John doing, for the most part? What's he doing in our passage? Well, at least what he's been doing is he's baptizing with water. Says it three times. I baptize with water. And so we've got an outward sign of repentance and a public admission of sin and a yearning to be cleansed. But then note that John makes a very clear distinction, saying that while he baptizes with water, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's the inward reality of forgiveness, reconciliation with God, new life in Christ. And so you see, John's baptism is about hearts Getting ready, hearts ready for God. While Jesus' baptism is about hearts being renewed. Hearts actually renewed by God. Sin is the cancer. And we need it eradicated. We need it taken away. So briefly, the next phrase takes away. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the verb used here, it's got two meanings, two basic meanings. They're they're closely related. It means to take up and to carry as one's own, and also uh, to carry off and away. So so to, to take up, to pick up, and then to carry as one's own. But then also to carry off, but not just a short distance, but to to carry away, far away. And again, John the Baptist is really seeing Jesus clearly. It's all making sense to him now. And here, John the Baptist sees Jesus as the one who will take up our sin upon himself, carry it as his own, and carry it off. And away from us. Again, sin is the cancer. We need it eradicated. We need it taken away. 
Uh, Dennis used this story a couple of weeks ago, and, and I'm going to uh, touch on it again now because I think it illustrates so well what we're, what we're talking about. So C.S. Lewis, if you were here for the, the illustration or if you're just familiar, familiar in general uh, with the Chronicles of Narnia, and in particular, uh, the one book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And the, the, the scene that I'm referring to, it's, it's often uh, called the, the de-dragoning of Eustace. Because it's about this uh, young boy, Eustace, who finally has become outwardly what for so long he has been inwardly. He literally becomes a dragon. And he is miserable, hopeless, helpless. And then he has an encounter with Aslan, the great lion the Christ figure throughout the Chronicles. And Aslan takes him to a pool of water, kind of a, a baptism motif, if you will. But it becomes very clear that Eustace cannot get into the water with the dragon skin on him. And so what does he do? He begins scratching furiously to scrape, try to scrape the skin off, and he just can't do it. And then Aslan makes very clear there is only one way to remove the dragon skin. And it's the piercing claws of the great lion who rips into the chest of Eustace and tears downward and pulls open like a suit and takes off the dragon skin and then takes it away. And the point is that like Eustace, we can't take off in and of ourselves, on our own, we can't take off and discard of sin. We can't cleanse ourselves of sin. We need another to remove it and to take it away. We need the Lamb of God. We need the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Now, if you were here over the summer, you may remember that we went through the I Am statements that are found in, in John's Gospel. And so you may also remember that the Gospel writer, as we pointed out a few times, that, that he is a master of mixed metaphor. And so there is a lot going on in this phrase, in this title, the Lamb of God. And so we're, we're only going to touch on a few. In Exodus 12, we read about the Passover lamb. Many of you are familiar with the story. You know that uh, Israel was held in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Uh, God sends Moses to the Israelites to announce their freedom and, and sends uh, Moses to, to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so what does God do? He sends a judgment, 10 plagues, and the last of the plagues is the death of of the firstborn in every household. But God also sends word through Moses to God's people, to the Israelites, that if they are to take an unblemished lamb and kill it and take its blood and then paint or spread it across the doorposts of their homes, that on that dreadful night, the angel of death will see the blood that's covering them and will pass over their household. John the Baptist sees Jesus. He sees Jesus as the ultimate and final Passover lamb, sacrificed on the cross for us. 
His blood covering us so that death will ultimately pass over us. And then there's Isaiah 53. We read about the lamb led to the slaughter. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who was led like a lamb to the slaughter whereby God laid on him the iniquity of us all as he became an offering for sin. And the prophet Isaiah goes on to declare he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. And Isaiah also says of this lamb that he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows as his own in our stead. John the Baptist sees Jesus as the suffering servant who was the lamb led to the slaughter. The one who was punished on the cross for us that he might take away our sin. Now again, the gospel writer John, a master of mixed metaphor. And so there are still layers upon layers upon layers to this lamb of God. But just a couple of more briefly. In Leviticus 16, we read about the scapegoat upon whose head the high priest would lay his hands once a year and pronounce over this animal the sins of the people and then send the goat out alone into the wilderness, which was symbolically carrying away Israel's sin. And similarly, not just once a year, but similarly, there was the lamb of daily sacrifice. An unblemished lamb offered up in the temple every morning and every evening. And guess what? John the Baptist was familiar with this. Do you remember John the Baptist's father, Zechariah? He was a temple priest. And so John, had, he grew up in the middle of the Old Testament sacrificial system where God had provided this perpetual way of sacrifice to continually atone for sin, to continually reconcile God and people. But deep, deep down, John knew there has to be something more. And then he sees Jesus and says, that's it. That's him. That's the Lamb of God. Jesus, I'm sorry, John the Baptist sees Jesus as the Lamb of God who would be, who in fact is, the final, complete, sufficient sacrifice, a sin offering for the whole world. The one who would fully and finally carry away the sin of those who trust in him. Just as God provided the lamb, Genesis 22. Just as God provided the lamb for Abraham to sacrifice in place of his son Isaac, so too God has provided his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for us to die in our place. The lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. And what does John say to us? John says, behold. Behold him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold him, the living word, here in the pages of his written word. Behold him as we journey together through this gospel of John. Behold him as we gather each week for corporate worship. Behold him as the eyes of your hearts are more fully opened as you grow in daily repentance and faith. Behold the Lamb of God. Gaze upon him. Marvel at his power and beauty and majesty. See him. Look to him. Trust in him. Embrace him. That's what John is calling us to do. Behold. Behold the Lamb of God. The gift that is all of grace. The gift that is received by faith. The gift who is Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen.